Jai Shri Krishna Shaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar, Shri Rasadi Gauravaktarinya. A quick reminder of the significance of chanting these slokas of uh, Siksastika. In these eight stanzas, Lord Chaitanya has actually given us a complete summarization of the process of devotional service and the gradual stages of advancement in devotional life. Those stages, the knowledge of Krishna consciousness is a science. This isn't some, something that is only based on faith, although Shraddha is the beginning. Atta Shraddha, Atta Sadhu. So the first verse gives us that. In the beginning, we have to have some faith in higher knowledge. If we have some faith in higher knowledge, then we can begin to use our intelligence to advance in life, to advance spiritually in life. So, Atta Shraddha, Atta Sadhu. Once we have a little bit of faith, then if we're serious about finding out what's going on, we look for a sadhu. Give me a saint. Anyone got a saint? So, sadhu. Tashrada tata sadhu. Then the sadhu, he says, if you want to know about your spiritual life, you need to make a little bit of a change in your consciousness. And I'll tell you how to do that. And he begins that instruction with bhajana kriya. He says, do a little bhajan. Hear about Krishna, the Supreme Lord, and chant about Krishna. Chant Hare Krishna. Chant about the Supreme Lord. It doesn't matter whatever the name for the Supreme Lord you have. Take some interest in it. Take some interest in spiritual life. Atashrada tata sadhu sangosa bhajana kriya to Nartha Nibriti Shat. As we begin to do that, as we approach a sadhu and we ask him about spiritual life, and he gives us a simple formula in this movement of Krishna consciousness, our formula is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And if your faith is in some other place, you know, you may be chanting Hail Marys or you may be chanting from the Quran or whatever, but some chanting is there, some purification. And as we begin to purify thing, Anartha, Anartha, we have dirt in our heart that is keeping us tied to this material world. That dirt is tying us down. Uh, the modes of material nature, if you've if you've read Bhagavad Gita and looked through the pictures, there's one picture there of, of the living entity being tied down. He can hardly move. His legs and his arms are bound. This material environment binds us through lust, anger, and greed to exploitative mentality. We want to take and enjoy this environment. The environment is there, and the environment is enjoyable, but it's enjoyable according to a proper formula. Unfortunately, generally, we let the senses go their own way, and we don't follow the proper formula. And the sadhu is saying, you engage in bhajana, you hear and chant about the supreme, and your consciousness will become purified by that process. 
and gradually those unwanted things in the heart that are binding you to this environment will gradually slacken. So those anarthas will decrease. And as those anarthas decrease, we can acquire transcendental knowledge. In other words, when we're not tied down to illusion, we can start to see reality. As the anarthas slip away, we become steady in our determination. Nista. We become steady in practice. We realize, I should be doing this on a regular basis. I should show up every week to a Bhagavad Gita class. I should chant Hare Krishna every day. I should read a little Bhagavad Gita. We don't have to do these things so that they consume our lives, although that would be nice, but we're kind of tied down, so we step gradually. We don't rush. And we engage in the process. We engage, we follow the sadhu, we take his instruction, we listen to what he's saying, and we let our heart become cleansed by those instructions, and we engage in the process of bhajana kriya. The heart's cleansed. We become steady. We realize life is here, but I want more than what this life offers. I also want the fruits of my spiritual being. I want, to, I want to experience that also. We become steady. And from that steadiness, when we engage in bhajana kriya after steadiness, a taste develops. Ruchi. A little bit of a taste. And that ruchi, at that stage, when the anarthas, when the heart has been cleansed, when the anarthas have fallen away, when we become steady, and we get the taste, then we're firmly situated in spiritual progress. Imagine that. Firmly situated in spiritual progress to such an extent that we will not be drug away because nothing is going to taste, nothing is going to give us that high of a taste. No amount of wealth, no amount of fame, no amount of knowledge, throw any of anything this environment has to offer cannot stack up to one infinitesimal particle of the spiritual enjoyment, which is our true self. Imagine that. Nothing. You could have the you could have you could be Gates and you could have all his money. You could be Brad Pitt or George Clooney or whoever the flavor of the day is. You know, you with all that fame you could be an Einstein or that, that guy, I forget his name, in the wheelchair who's like super brilliant. Okay. Yes, you could be like that. But nothing on this plane, no matter what endeavor you have, is, can satisfy you as much as one infinitesimal particle of, your spiritual, of the spiritual enjoyment is, that is your actual self. Ruchi, taste. You can taste that. It doesn't take a long time. You can taste it. Just become a little bit steady in that chanting, in that reading, in that spiritual pursuit, and that taste comes. And once that taste comes, well, one great Acharya put it this way. Once you've tasted the sweetness of the Supreme Lord, 
Krishna standing on the banks of the Yamuna. <laughs> you might as well give up any aspiration you had to enjoy this world because those aspirations pale so much in comparison that your material life is finished. I mean, you're still here. You're still going to have to make progress. You still have your responsibilities, your family, your children, your employment. But those things will not give you as much pleasure as that bhajana kriya that the sadhu told you to do. That's going to be your real flavor. That's going to be the real enjoyment. So this chanting, chanting is our nourishment in life. And we, become to, we come to a point of ruchi. And from that point, we actually start to develop a personal relationship with the Supreme Lord. A personal relationship in loving exchange. A sakti. We start to actually taste what, how do I relate with God? Am I his best friend? Am I simply a servant? I'm his, am I his parent? I'm his intimate lover. This will actually manifest in the heart. Once it begins to manifest, we're overwhelmed. The ruchi? Well, the ruchi turns into a flood of spiritual enjoyment to such an extent that it overpowers. It overpowers us. And that overpowerment is called Bhava, ecstasy, and it, it takes over. So much so that we lose control. <laughs> so you'll notice the saintly people, they're, uh, they're very reserved. And even though the, they're experiencing this level of enjoyment, uh, it's not manifest to the common man. So even though you have someone of the, of the caliber of a Jesus Christ going through what we see as extreme anguish. Do we really know what exchange and what his true mentality is? So it's explained that we, for us, it is not possible and we should not try to judge the character of those sadhus, those saintly people. It's beyond our comprehension. From that platform, uh, then we're talking about prema, and prema is such a high level of spiritual exchange. What was once a blooming of the relationship that we have with the Supreme Lord becomes a full-blown reality. And we actually start to exchange love with the Lord. If you look at this, these eight verses of Siksastika, they are that progression. That progression is right here. So that when you talk about becoming steady, when you actually are overcome with a sense of humility, that overcomes. Not a mental, let me be humble. This is more than just a mental, let me be humble. This is an actual, I am, I am infinitesimal. And the Supreme is, is infinite. That's humility. When you actually come to that realization, that's steadiness. And then the taste comes. 
Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim, the fourth verse. Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim. I want no desire to accumulate wealth. I want no number of followers. I don't want beautiful women. I just want to be in this taste of loving and serving the Supreme life after life. That's going pretty far because now we're saying, I don't even want liberation. I don't want out of the miseries of this environment. I'm willing to stay. Just let me continue to taste this spiritual life. Janmani, Janmani, Suare. Don't care. Don't care if I'm born again and again in any condition. Just let me continue to have an opportunity to taste this chanting. Then, from there, from that platform, then that, then, then we go, ah, O son of Krishna, why have I fallen into this world? We really come to a sense of wanting to be reunited with Krishna. Why? As we mentioned, that loving exchange which we have with Krishna is becoming manifest. So we're starting to see where our relationship with God is. And we all have a personal loving relationship unique to ourselves and the Supreme Lord, which is a personal loving exchange with Him. That overtakes us in ecstasy and eventually we, we become mad in separation and then finally prema is fully manifest. These verses of Siksastika are a condensed version of the whole practice of sadhana bhakti as given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. From these verses, the, the eight Goswami, followers of Sri Chaitanya, expanded volumes of literature for our spiritual advancements. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Sanatana Goswami, it's important to, I always like to remind us from time to time, what is, how so important it is to understand these things. A little Bhagavad Gita. Can I have a little water, please? <clears throat> We're studying the 16th chapter, the divine and the not-so-divine natures. More, more, more probably in our current age than saying demoniac, Ungodly would probably be a more appropriate nomenclature. Of course, Prabhupada is coming in a very stern way. And Krishna is also giving us divine and demoniac natures. We're not trying to, to water that down in any way. But what does it mean to be demoniac? It means to be ungodly. So maybe ungodly is a better way to look because once you start looking at people as demoniac, then that conjures, in this society, it conjures up all these things, you know, horns and all kinds of things. So better ungodly. Yes, sir? I'm just going to say, whenever I hear demoniac, I always feel like it's more, it sounds more intentional. Like 
an intent to, to be ungodly, whereas a lot of us are just sort of... Just uneducated. Anyway, so these act, these characteristics here, when we because I noticed, I mean, I noticed myself in reading this chapter, which you've all read a couple times now, right? Anticipation of class, ten verses a week. Then we come and discuss. Okay, so since you've all read these a couple times, you you, you get the sense, well, maybe I'm the demoniac, maybe I'm on the demoniac side here, and actually, Arjuna. Krishna picked that up in Arjuna because you notice uh, where is it in the third or fourth verse he has to he has to give Arjuna a little bit of an assurance that uh, these don't apply to you so Krishna started to explain pride arrogance conceit anger harshness ignorance these qualities belong to those of demoniac nature O son of Prita so he's starting to explain the other. In the, in the you know the other side of the equation in the fourth verse, the qualities that aren't transcendental, the qualities that don't lead to spiritual awakening. He's he's discussing those. There's another deed up there. Then he goes on these transcendental qualities, which he's given in the first three verses, conducive to liberation, whereas the demoniac qualities. Make for bondage. Do not worry, O son of Pandu, for you are born of the divine qualities. Of course, Prabhupada mentions that in his purport and also in, uh, in Vishwanath Chakravarti's and Baladev Vijabhushan's purports to this verse. They say Krishna is basically telling Arjuna, you, you are of the divine nature don't think just because you're on a battlefield and you're going to have to kill the enemy that that means you are of the ungodly nature. So rest assured, by doing this killing, it's okay. Because you are of the divine nature. You're following my instruction. So imagine, I mean, if God is right there beside you saying, eh, that guy has got to go. <laughs> and you pick up, uh, you know, the sword or the bow and, and you kill him. That's, that's a godly act, isn't it? It's not, it, although it may seem all so harsh, I'm killing. But if God's saying kill, this I want, I want this. And you notice in all the, all these different, all the different faiths they have, they always have that, that crisis situation. What was it, Abraham? Mm-hmm. What, what did he have to do? He had to... Uh, his own son. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Now, is that godly? Mm-hmm. Normally you'd say no. But there again, the test is there. Are you this material body? Are we going to deal in knowledge of our spiritual self or are we going to be immersed and wrapped up in material consciousness of this material body, where I am man, you are woman, you're the king, I'm the pauper, all these material designations. When we see at every stage, the material designations are continually changing. One birth, I'm this, one birth, I'm that. 
so many changes we don't even remember. Maybe some of us remember some. But generally speaking, we don't remember. What was I in my last life? What brought me to this body? What brought me to this environment? To take birth here as opposed to some other environment. In this environment, I can be well-educated. Up to three or four years ago, I could make a good living. Uh, you know, so this environment was pretty good. Oh, there's other third world countries, which are now moving to the first world country status as we push them along. But, uh, you know, we'll be the third world country. So what? Now we're the first world country and what? In a hundred years, India and China, they're going to be first world. So these changes are always going and we're also changing. So he assures Arjuna, you're of the divine nature. O son of Prita, in this world there are two kinds of created beings. One is called divine and the other demoniac. I have already explained to you at length the divine qualities. Now hear from me of the demoniac. Those who are demoniac do not know what is to be done and what is not to be done. Neither cleanliness nor proper behavior nor truth is found in them. And we're not going to read that purport again. <laughs> this, this reading of Gita, we've covered that. But it was a real lesson in we're not this body and we're not the designations of this body. Whether it be male or female, we're not, we don't have that designation. Whether I'm a, you know, an astrophysicist or a, a, you know, just a bum in the street... Spiritually, we're all on an equal footing. And spiritual consciousness and spiritual advancement is in no way impeded by our situation in this material environment. No way is it impeded. Krishna says that in Bhagavad Gita. That you can make spiritual advancement even if you have the worst of circumstances. Even if you are the lowest of mankind. And especially in this age, Sri Chaitanya has emphasized this. That this cleansing of the heart, Shaito Darpana Marjanam, is for everyone, no matter what our situation. Because in this age, yeah, we're all we're all less than Sudra. And as we continue to study Bhagavad Gita, we'll see, and particularly in this chapter, in the beginning, the first uh, three or four slokas, all those different ashrams, the qualities, the 26 qualities of transcendence, of spiritual behavior, are applicable to everyone because we should all apply ourselves through the different ashrams. So, Varnashram. Varnashram is a natural division in human society for the proper maintenance and upkeep of the society. There's a class of saintly people. There's a class of administrative people. There's a class of mercantile people. And there are the, cla the class of servant people. They simply work. They don't care to, to make money. They don't care to be in charge of administration. They're happy 
Uh, I guess in this size, uh, six, in this society, what would we say? Joe Sixpack. <laughs> I'm a volunteer. <laughs> They're simply happy to make little money and go on with life. They work wherever they can find employment. And then the saintly, the saintly people, the academics, the thinkers of society, uh, normally Brahmins. In this age, everything is so, unfortunately, so, so fallen that these distinctions are, are hard to, uh, are really mixed up. Whereas in prior ages of mankind, they were very fixed, and in that way, things were a lot more fixed. In other words, can you imagine a government where you could depend on them? You could actually depend on the government to look out for your best interest? Mm. Imagine that. We can't conceive of that. We can look back in history. We can look back maybe, well, I don't know. I don't know, was it ever here in America? No, <laughs> uh, So anyway, let's chant a verse of uh, Bhagavad Gita. How about verse 8? Satyama pratistam te jagadahur nisvaram apa Rasparasambhutam kim anyat kamahaitukam. They say that this world is unreal with no foundation, no God in control. They say it is, a, it is produced of sex desire and has no cause other than lust. Anyone heard this before? In one form or another? It's a big bang. I've heard of the big bang theory. It just all of a sudden popped. And here we are. You have all this diversity, all this nice environment is here, but it was just because there was some big bang. And then on this planet, this planet alone, this one planet, just this one, forget the billions of other stars in the sky that we see up there, but in this one, there was a perfect atmosphere. <laughs> And in this perfect atmosphere, little creepy crawler things could devolve. <laughs> and from the creepy crawlers, more creepy crawlers came, but they were bigger. And then they had legs and on and on. And finally, they came up and I'm here by chance from that little bang. And then this one little planet, it was big? The Big Bang. Okay, the Big Bang Theory. Chemical reactions. Yes, all coming about. As Prabhupada points out in the purport, and everybody has their own theory. Some say this and some say that. Some attribute it to this cause, some attribute it to that cause. But none of them attribute it to the supreme cause. No. That's not, that's not in their purview. And to them, if they can combine the chemicals the right way in their little laboratory, they too could produce life. Just now coming. That's the scientist's post-dated check. It's always just now coming. This is a very unfortunate situation for mankind that he's not willing to to come to an understanding of his true spiritual nature. And because he's not willing to 
to come to this understanding, in this chapter, he's referred to as demoniac, ungodly. So there's two natures. There are those people that are truly inquisitive about their existence and can understand that there must be a higher purpose than just a big bang and just some amalgamation of chemicals in the swamps that eventually led to the intelligence that we have. So these two classes are there, the godly and the ungodly. And there's, there's a struggle between the two. Specifically, in, when we look at the, the scientists, the scientific community and the, and the spiritual community, doesn't matter what the faith is, there is conflict there. And that conflict truly is, can never be resolved. That conflict will not be resolved because people are of these two natures. Some people can hear from spiritual authority and understand the significance of what's being given. And others believe that they don't need to listen to any authority. And simply by observing the environment, they're going to be able to figure everything out. And Krishna will go on in this chapter and explain how the ungodly mentality looks at the world. Simply for exploitation. Now, in the society of man, when we see that the only ob objective of an individual is exploitation, and when the society itself degenerates into a society that simply stresses exploitation, what is the result? Where do we end up? Let's look, just in the last three or five years. The exploitation of corporate America, of the, of the leaders of corporate America, has brought how much pain and suffering to humanity in just, in this, just where we are? Can, they even, can we really estimate? Of course, they say it's getting better, but the fact on the street is the unemployment rate is, is, is horrendous. So many people are unemployed. So many people are, are in, in just in the, worst, in the worst way that they've ever been. The society has not seen anything on this scale for, what, 80 years? So, so just look at where that kind of a mentality takes us as a group as a, as a society and look at it individually look at the look at those individuals that you have knowledge of that have gone over the edge materially doesn't matter what edge they've gone over but just look at what has taken them to that stage whether it be this addiction or that addiction there's always some addiction there and it ends up very badly for the individual. It ends very badly collectively as a society. This mentality 
where there is no submissive hearing from spiritual authority simply ends in catastrophe for the living entity when he's come to the human form of life. Well, wait a minute. I understand what you're saying, but isn't that what all the different faiths of the world say? Come to church, you listen to the preacher, he, he, you know, he tells you what's what, and you live your life according to that? Yes, to some extent. But this Bhagavad Gita and this assembly and the objective of this knowledge is not in any way draconian. Inquire. Krishna doesn't say we accept blindly. Tadvidi pranipate na pariprashnena sevaya. Approach that sadhu. We talked about that sadhu. Approach. Don't approach in a challenging way, but approach sincerely with your inquiry. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Why is the environment the way it is? Is there God? Does he exist? If he ex exists, what is his characteristic? What is his nature? What does he do? Do I have a relationship with him? Inquire. Tadvidi pranipate na pariprashne na sevaya. Inquire, inquire, inquire until your intelligence is fully satisfied. That is the characteristic of a bona fide spiritual master. He will be able to perfectly answer all of your inquiries. So once in a while he may think, say things that don't quite jive with our sensual perception. He may say things that are a little bit bitter to hear. Like, if you really want to make spiritual advancement, you can't lead a hedonistic life. They just, they're like oil and water. They don't go together. You have to modify yourself and, your, and you have to act in cooperation with this environment, with this material world. You can't work in opposition to it. But if we come to the bonafide spiritual master with these characteristics, pranipat, a little bit of humility in our inquiry, pariprash, uh, and we make that inquiry seriously, we're serious to know, and sevaya, sevaya, a little service. When the sadhu says, if you really want to understand what I'm saying, I need you to engage in a, in a little bit of a purificatory activity. Otherwise, you're not going to get it because in this environment, we have diseased, a mental diseased men mentality. We are overcome by our desire to exploit this world. So if we really want to understand spiritual knowledge, we have to gradually let that go. If you don't do that, you're going to have a hard time understanding what I'm telling you. That's what the sadhu says. You're not going to get it. You're not going to fully comprehend. 
when you have this ungodly mentality and you're not willing to work to rectify it. Let's say I have a disease and I go to the doctor. And the doctor says, yeah, you have a disease. It's very serious. You can no longer eat the way you're eating. If you go on eating like that, it's going to kill you. Oh, well, I want to eat what I eat now. Yeah, okay. So either you want to stay sick or you want to get well. That's the choice you have to make. But the expert doctor is going to say, this is how you cure that disease. So when we hear from the sadhu, from the saintly person, from the spiritual master, in order to purify your existence and understand spiritual knowledge, transcendental knowledge, which is beyond the range of your empiric, speculative, sensory, sensory perception. Spiritual knowledge is not attainable with the senses through which we exploit this environment. It's in a higher nature. It's above that. And it's coming down purely from that higher nature, Sabda Brahma, Sabda Brahman, that sound vibration is not of this world. It is free of the defects of material existence. It is free of the repetition of samsara. It's free of the karma which binds us, those ropes that tie us down to this environment. So there's no defects there. We have defects. As long as we're in this little car, this body, this shetra. Remember a couple chapters back we talked about this, this field of activities. This shetra and the shetrajna. In this environment, our senses are not perfect. Because they're not perfect, well, that means we can be an illusion. If, you, if your senses don't work perfectly... You can be an illusion. Because you're an illusion, you can make mistakes. And the nature of this environment is if we can get something for nothing, all well and good. We have a tendency to cheat. Take the easy road. Spiritual life is beyond that. Spiritual life is coming from a plane where there is no desire to exploit. No cheating mentality. When we begin to study transcendental knowledge, we have to give up that mentality. The second verse of Srimad Bhagavatam speaks volumes to this. This transcendental literature is for those people who are beyond the cheating mentality. They are willing to, to, to submit. Tadvati pradipatena, pariprashnena, sevaya, a little service, a little submissive inquiry. They're willing to hear and they're willing to take some direction and they're willing to understand the significance of purifying their, their, their life because there is something more than this plane which ultimately everything in this plane is going to end. I don't care how it ends, it's going to end. It can end good, it can end bad, but end it will. You can go out, the richest man in the world, you can go out the most beautiful, the most famous, the strongest. 
But whatever we acquire on this plane will end. And that's foreign to us. No one wants it to end. We don't want it to end. We want it to go on and on and on. And if any of us could go and drink from a fountain of youth, who wouldn't go? If I was a mystic yoga, a yogi and I could just immediately create a fountain here and say, if you drink from this, you will never die. Who would not come and drink? Yes. Same same other side of the same coin. They want to end the misery of material existence. But basically, if one could could be eternal and not have to confront death, they they would certainly take that alternative. It's a nature. It's our nature. Self-preservation is part of our nature because we're eternal. We're spirit soul. This culture of Krishna consciousness is very simple. And we can taste our spiritual nature very easily. Not difficult in this age. Other ages, yeah, pretty, pretty difficult. In this age, because we're in such a forlorn situation... The Supreme is, is very much inclined to help. Just like if we see someone that's in a, in a desperate situation, we'll go out of our way to help them. They say that this world <clears throat> is unreal, with no foundation, no God in control. They say it is produced of sex desire and has no cause other than lust. We could sit here for weeks studying all the different philosophies of mankind regarding how we got here and how the world runs and what's the primary energy behind it and what you know what philosophy as to evolution or or big bang or whatever they don't end the culture of krishna consciousness is not interested in these sciences of man because they have they are unfortunately polluted with that imperfection which comes in this environment. We're interested in spiritual knowledge coming purely from a, from a spiritual source. Following such conclusions, the demoniac who are lost to themselves and who have no intelligence engage in unbeneficial, horrible works meant to destroy the world. Any questions on that? <laughs> Taking shelter of insatiable lust and absorbed in the conceit of pride and false prestige, the demoniac, thus illusioned, are always sworn to unclean work, attracted by the impermanent. They believe that to gratify the senses is the prime necessity of human civilization. Thus, until the end of life, their anxiety is immeasurable. Bound by a network of hundreds of thousands of desires and absorbed in lust and anger, they secure money by illegal means for sense gratification. 
So if they don't get it, that's what puts them into anxiety? Yes, in this, yeah. Don't we see that? Right. I work so hard to, to advance my cause, and then I become frustrated when I don't get it, when, I, when it's, it's not given. I work so hard I don't get it. What's the result? Anger. What about, what if something bad happens? One of those, why is it looking at That's the other, another cause of anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's what you get it, so I'm laugh. Yeah. That's material life. This is transcendental life. We have to come to an understanding that as long as we are under the misconception of a hunkar, that we are this material body, we're going to be frustrated at every step. That doesn't mean that we are in some, that we do not accept the reality of our situation. We have to work with what we have to advance fully to the spiritual platform. So we don't become, we're not frustrated by the fact that we, you know, that we're, we're here in this environment. I have to work. I have to support my family. I have, to, I have to work in this environment. But I don't let it get the better of me. I don't become a, just completely obsessed with the environment to the point where I neglect what I really am. If we neglect our spiritual nature, we're robbing ourselves of true pleasure. If we tend to our spiritual nature, material nature will stand as servant to us in every respect. Even liberation. Even if you have some concept of being relieved of the miseries, when it becomes so bad you want out, and you'll take any route, whether it be suicide or whatever, to get out of the, the misery. So there is a class of spiritualists who believe that the object of spiritual life is the opposite of material life. In material life, Exploit, exploit, enjoy, enjoy, gimme, 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 I be mine, on and on. We could say a hundred different catchphrases here, but it's about me. And then when I see that no matter even when I have it all, even when I am Howard Hughes, and at the end of life I have it all, but the germs might get me. <laughs> now I have to watch out for the germs so I have to renounce all the things in life that I want to, that I can enjoy with the fruits of my of my lifetime of perfect business endeavor but I'm scared to death that that it, that my life itself will be taken away I have to renounce I can only eat certain foods. I can only live in a certain environment with certain machines to keep the air perfect. And if you want to come in and see me, you better wear a mask because you might give me something. Imagine that's, that's where we end up. The flip side of the exploitation is the renunciation. Let me renounce. Now, Howard Hughes is, is quite a, you know, you, you look and you say, well, guy was just nuts. 
oh, look at the that class of spiritualists that simply want to renounce everything. To someone who knows true spiritual knowledge, who knows about the, the, the relationship between the supreme and the living entity, that loving exchange which is b billions and quadrillions of times more enjoyable than anything we can have here. To one who has that knowledge, what does an impersonalist look like? He's a crazy fellow. <laughs> who would want to give up their real spiritual life and just become void. What kind of an aspiration is that? Might as well live like a... You want to merge into the everything. You know that in this environment, everything ends badly. You know that this environment is simply karma and action and reaction, birth and deaths, the, the continual cycle of samsara. So therefore, let me put an end to it. Let me renounce everything. And my spiritual conclusion, even I can take these books that explain the true spiritual relationship between the supreme and the living entity as the highest loving exchange. Let me not accept that. Let me use my little pea brain and come up with another conclusion which says it's all void. That's a crazy fellow, in my estimation. So there will always be a conflict between the personalists and the impersonalists. And for me, I'll stick with the personalists. Because even the thought of having a loving exchange with the Supreme Personality is, is aspiration enough to carry on and to continually chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. So, we continue, we go on, we, we pursue this Krishna consciousness, we get rid of the anarthas, we become steady in spiritual life, and we begin to taste. Once that taste comes, and that doesn't, it doesn't take that long, but we do have to want to get out of it. it can't, you got to give up that cheating mentality, and we all have that cheating mentality a little bit. So we gotta gotta kind of throw that off. I'll end there. Thank you so much.